What do you think of when you hear the term, the connected helicopter? Over in the fixed-wing world, connectivity is generally viewed by the public as just Wi-Fi, like how you're going to watch a movie or surf the web during your flight of any duration. But in the helicopter world, as it's been explained to me, connectivity of that specific sort was never really something people thought about. After all, a typical helicopter flight could be less than an hour, and on board, unless you're in a VIP or business aircraft, you might be trying to accomplish a particular mission where surfing the web is the least of your priorities. And being in this industry in particular, our idea of connectivity differs greatly from that of your neighboring plane passenger. Take, for example, California's San Diego Police Department's aviation unit. It invested in connectivity capabilities last year when it equipped its fleet with AT&T LTE SIM cards to provide access to information like addresses and street names during airborne missions. Flight officers can then access the department's dispatch system, essentially putting the law enforcement mission, whether in the air or on the ground, connected in real time. Before this, as we've detailed in our November-December issues cover story, this was not possible. Connectivity in the helicopter world, though that still includes Wi-Fi for simple things like checking email, is more so about crucial components that allow pilots to stay in communication with the ground, and also flight monitoring in the aircraft, which this episode presents to you. The Rotorcraft Collective Podcast, expanding Rotor and Wing International's coverage of vertical flight business intelligence. I am your host, Senior Managing Editor, Amy Kluber. Now, before I start, I want to bring your attention to a panel RNWI is hosting at Heli Expo on how digitalization is transforming the aerospace industry. It will be held at Sentient Sciences booth number C3245 in the First Time Visitors Pavilion, February 28th at 1.30 p.m. Speakers include those from CHC Helicopter, Bell, Honeywell, and Sentient Science. See you there. Just in time for Heli Expo, we have for you some discussions to share. Our coverage of the connected helicopter is not new. You can find it in the magazine and online rather regularly. For this episode, we spoke to Honeywell, Bell, which by the way has rebranded itself to now be just Bell, and an aviation consultant with HAI to talk all things connectivity. In fact, you can find some valuable related discussions that took place at our Rotorcraft Business and Technology Summit last September in episodes two and three of this podcast. If you haven't tuned in yet, I highly recommend you do. Now onward. I want to start with providing an overview on what exactly makes a helicopter connected. There are varying levels to connectivity, but it all has to do with keeping the aircraft safe and in communication with other aircraft and with the ground. For Bell, it caused this its digital fabric. I'll let Bell Director of Innovation Scott Drennan explain. The connected helicopter has many levels for us, and it starts first when we do our initial designs and then move the vehicle through manufacturing and into our uh, operational model and our service models. And we connect it there through the digital thread. So the electronic digital design then ports into the digital thread of the manufacturing facility where the actual manufacturing steps are recorded in that digital media. The quality of that part is recorded in the digital media. Then as the part goes on to the aircraft itself, that digital twin remains behind and is connected to the aircraft so it knows what missions it went on, what loads it experienced. And so we track that part all throughout its life and then the assembly of those parts so we can 
serve our customer better when they're out operating. Um, for example, we can predict um, you know replacement times for them earlier and have inventory ready for them. So that's one level. It's the um, it's the helicopter through the product life cycle. The other level is uh, connectivity between uh, aircraft to aircraft or aircraft to infrastructure. So when you talk about some of our future endeavors, like the urban air taxi, we expect that vehicle to be connected to the other vehicles around it so that we can all you know, be polite in our travels through the air corridors. And then we also expect that um, helicopter to be connected to the infrastructure. So the infrastructure will speak to the helicopter and say, I'm clear, come in for landing. The helicopter receives that message and goes in, or the air taxi in our example that we're talking about. And, um, and then, the, or maybe on a day, the infrastructure would say, you know what, we, we have too many people on the deck, you need to find another place. So it's all about uh, safety as one of our core missions and situational awareness as one of our core missions. So that connectivity will, will also create that for us. And then the third level is our customers inside. So we don't want in the air taxi or really any of our products for our customers to feel isolated from the internet of things, from the internet itself, from communications between their colleagues, their family and, and other folks. So we plan to have a connected helicopter or connected air taxi in the sense that you can go out and, and check your uh, you know, favorite places to acquire news or traffic information. You can connect with uh, your fellow passengers on the ride or even folks that aren't on the ride. Honeywell's Mark Goodman, product director of its cockpit SATCOM portfolio, gave a pretty good problem and solution connectivity provides. Without connectivity, the the aircraft and helicopter have uh, monitoring systems on them that, that look, at, uh, look at the equipment. Um, you know, they provide feedback to the, op- the operational control systems um, on the helicopter or, or aircraft. But the only way that the data, the information can be um, relayed to the, the maintenance crew or the operations crew uh, is once the helicopter or aircraft is back down on the ground. Um, we call it sneaker net, where someone runs out with a, a USB stick and grabs the, the equipment logs um, off the um, off the craft and then brings them back in, uh, plugs them into a computer and, and can run analytics on, on that data. And at that point, they might find that there's a, uh, an issue, an out-of-tolerance issue one on, on one of the engines or a, a drive shaft or there's a, a warning on one of the pieces of avionics. Um, with connectivity, of course, this information can be monitored real-time and any, uh, any warning or uh, concern can be relayed um, real time to the ground, so that when the helicopter or the aircraft returns to the um, to the base, the maintenance crew is already aware of the issue and can immediately um, enact a, a repair or a, a, um, or or a fix as required to uh, to clear the issue and um, get the the craft back into service. He also told us how connecting helicopters poses challenges in the way the rotors interact with the signals from the equipment. Um, so helicopters are uh, present an interesting problem when it comes to connectivity. Um, of course, Honeywell has has been connecting aircraft for uh, for many years. Um, as technology has evolved, our products have evolved to provide the best solutions for connectivity 
for aircraft, uh, but helicopters have always been a challenge. Um, the reason for that is that helicopters have, of course, the, the wings rotating above the, the cabin, um, uh, almost always in line of sight uh, between the, the connectivity equipment and the satellites that we use to connect. Um, but recently, we've been able to develop technology um, along with our, our partner, Immersat, to allow us to remove the effects of the, the rotors uh, and provide substantial connectivity for, um, for helicopters. Some technologies both companies are working on in this realm include Honeywell's Aspire 200 SATCOM system. Bell is working on a health monitoring solution. Here's Honeywell. So the Aspire 200 is is our connectivity solution. It's the, it's the hardware that actually allows the connectivity from the helicopter to satellites to the ground. Uh, and GoDirect is our, our service offering, which includes airtime, uh, but it also includes um, uh, applications that enhance the operation, the pilot experience, uh, things like flight planning and weather monitoring and uh, uh, even things as, as simple as um, ordering catering or uh, ordering a car. Um, the uh, the next step beyond that is is augmenting our other equipment, our mechanical systems and our uh, avionics systems, um, to to enable them to get them ready for um, for connect- connectivity. So basically, putting on uh, uh, let's call it a a, a hub. Um, or connectivity solution to allow it to connect to the SATCOM and our GoDirect services and stitch the whole aircraft um, and monitoring system together so that we can bring uh, the the applications and the overall uh, operational improvement capability um, to our operators and our our pilots. And Bell. If you think about that, that first example I gave you of the digital twin uh, that would be available to the engineers um, and relate to the uh, missions that the, the helicopter is running, there's a system that we call uh, Integrated Vehicle Health Monitoring, IVHM. And that's a technology that we're working really hard on. And it's basically a suite of sensors on the vehicle that tell you about vibrations, loads, um, G-forces, weather experienced, and that data ties back into those digital models of parts or the aircraft itself to help us try to make better determinations about actions we need to take uh, ahead of our customers so that they are always ready and they can schedule uh, maintenance or other uh, operational actions without being surprised by it. Um, so that's really a, an exciting technology. The other technology that we're working on together with with various partners is the communication system for the future air taxi um, networks. So 5G, uh, the the Wi-Fi connectivity that we're used to on our our phones and and various other um, digital and electronic items that we use, that looks like it's a very promising technology for uh, communications between these systems. Uh, especially when you start to think about um, a a backup to our traditional GPS system, the 5G could be a really nice uh, complement to the GPS system so that aircraft can not only get to where they're going, but they can also be aware of other vehicles in and around them or other obstacles around them. And, and then you start to bring in 
the third technology, which is artificial intelligence, that once those good connected communications are happening, whether it's for the customer, for the vehicle flying around, or for the, for the product cycle that we talked about, you can start to apply that artificial intelligence to make actionable decisions that take you away from that mundane, you know, fly from A to B autonomously. Well, now we can fly from A to B autonomously, but we can also make decisions based on contingencies that we might uh, experience during that trip. So if there's some weather we couldn't see, we have to make a decision about where to go next. If there's um, another aircraft that wasn't planned on our route, we can make a decision about that. If there's some kind of other uh, impediment in our way, we can we can do things with that. So those are three examples uh, that we're really excited about that I think enable this connected uh, helicopter concept that you're talking about. As for barriers and hurdles surrounding connectivity on helicopters, Bell noted how it sees them more as opportunities. Let's hear it from Scott. We, we look at them as, as, as opportunities to um, bring our core philosophy to bear. So when we talk about safety as one of our core um, uh, principles, we don't do anything until the helicopter is safe. And you think about uh, how communications and connectivity plays into that. The first thing that comes to mind is reliability. So when information, which is, is being exchanged through these connected items, if that information is not reliable, it can lead to poor decisions. Poor decisions about where we land, where we fly, where we take off from what speed and heading we should travel at. So reliability of those communication networks is huge to us. Um, we will layer them if we have to, and it looks like we probably would, but uh, that's something that's on our mind. Um, and then um, just making sure that the, um, the regulatory structure can accept some of our ideas. So you, you and I have talked already about um, vehicles while they're flying. Well, some vehicles do very, you know, kind of, we'll call them easy, benign missions from a load standpoint. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you, me, and David, we're going to the movies across town. Well, that's just a, a vertical takeoff, a nice steady cruise, and a, and a vertical landing. That vehicle should be able to take advantage of its, of its sort of benign mission state and allow uh, pieces on the vehicle or assemblies on the vehicle to stay there longer versus say a a vehicle that um you know slings logs around that's a vehicle that has to do you know mid-mission hovers you know it has to pick up large heavy loads so there's higher stresses higher fatigue um values on the on the vehicle well that vehicle may not want to or may not deserve to have as long a life as the vehicle that we described before so that we know we can do from a technological standpoint, but can we get the regulators to agree that per serial number of a vehicle, you can determine its life or its maintenance schedule? Now, I was curious if there are particular sectors of the industry that see more needs for connectivity or are equipping the tech more than others. Honeywell mentioned the medical community being a large customer, particularly as it needs to keep doctors connected to the aircraft transporting patients. Uh, so we are working um, already with the medical sector. Uh, we've we've done we have some experience in in the medical sector from the fixed wing um, applications where we've connected uh, telemedicine 
applications on aircraft, on long-range aircraft with SATCOM. Um, we've done that for many years. Um, but we've also supported fixed-wing, like flying doctor-type uh, aircraft um, in certain parts of the world. Um, so it's not completely foreign. Um, the the game changer is that we now have a solution that provides um, hundreds of kilobits per second of connectivity to helicopters. Um, that that's that's been the game changer. Um, so yes, we're we're seeing a lot of interest in uh, in that field. Um, the the only barrier to entry has been uh, the need to integrate applications with the with the SATCOM with the, the communications link. Um, but as I said, that's that's been done previously on fixed wing. Um, we're just supporting it with our uh, with our equipment on helicopters and and providing um, helping to provide the overall solution. Both Scott and Mark discussed data monitoring solutions. That's a big player here when we're talking connectivity. I spoke to aviation consultant Keith Cianfrani to get his take on flight data monitoring, or FDM. You might recall him from his bylines and RNWI safety watch columns in the magazine. He is working with the association and the FAA on a flight data monitoring program as HAI's FDM expert and outreach individual. He's also holding a safety session at Heli Expo next week on the topic. I'd like to close out this episode by playing that clip here. FDM is important because flight data can provide meaningful inputs to facilitate sound decision-making for operators. Uh, the metrics that are used uh, can be useful to operators uh, for data analyzation, such as loss of control, weather controls, and specific system failures. Um, having an FDM program is part of an SMS program and uh, it enhances safety uh, as part of, a, uh, of an SMS program. In the long run, looking at data can help save lives. So what is a problem you are seeing right now among operators who are mandated, mandated to equip their fleets with FDM by April? Well, we're actually working with a couple operators right now. Uh, the biggest issue I think right now is one, uh, the ones that are not using it, is one understanding what FDM is and how it's going to be used. Uh, two, the financial impact because they they're required to go out and uh, purchase the, uh, this equipment. And uh, and three, just trying to set up a program that either they can analyze the data or understand how to uh, set up a program where they can analyze the data or they can outsource it. The larger companies do it in-house, the smaller companies um, will be will need to outsource it unless they start their own program, program in-house uh, to, to analyze the data. Um, I believe this initiative is going to be a safety uh, enhancer for the uh, aeromedical industry. So some concerns, you, you mentioned costs, some other things are that the, the collected information can be identifying and that they don't want to implement a system with those privacy issues. What would you say to them? Well, if there, there's a couple ways you can look at it here. Uh, if you're using the data for yourself and you have an in-house program, that it, then that is your data. You know uh, what the aircraft are. You know what, who's flying it. Uh, if they outsource the data to, um, to a company that does this, they can de-identify the, the data to the point where some of that information is, is taken out. 
um, the rotocraft size safety project that HAI and I'm working on uh, collects data uh, from operators, but we uh, we have uh, an ability to de-identify it to uh, meet the concerns of the operators. Uh, so only the operators actually know uh, what the information is that uh, they have. Then who would own the data if if it's done in-house or if it's done through a third party? Who ends up actually owning it? The, the operator always owns the data. If the operator outsources it or sends the data to uh, HAI, part of the size program, uh, they still own the data. Um, so the data will always be owned by them, and then they could choose to who they want to share it with. There, there's also been some other challenges where people have said that it doesn't do certain things they want it to do, like it doesn't gather weather data, and they can't like cross-reference it with the da- data that's captured. Do you have any comments on that? Yes, I do. Uh, yes, actually, uh, it, you are correct. Uh, the devices don't uh, collect the data. Um, if you have a an system, uh, a device, say the Vision 1000, that does have a camera, you will be able to see the outside conditions. Um, with that said, the data, uh, the data that's collected and put into a program whether it could actually be inserted to the program in the data, say you're recreating a flight, you could actually pull it up using uh, some of the programs uh, that give uh, like an earth display and insert the, the weather for that instance taking from the, the, the weather reports. So when you do a recreation of that flight, you can actually see the, the ground flight path along the ground. You can see what the weather is. So even though it doesn't, uh, collect the weather specifically, weather can be put into that particular program uh, so you could see what conditions were going on at that time. And then you mentioned briefly before cost. So how does cost play into here? Would you have any pointers on saving money for those looking to equip it affordably? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm actually working with about uh, five or six different FDM manufacturers if you're looking, say, low cost to high cost, uh, you can start out with uh, what we call a, a guard program, which is nothing more than an iPad uh, that uh, a crew would take into the aircraft with them that records certain parameters, uh, uh, could be turns, uh, airspeed, bank. Then uh, you could move up a little bit. Uh, the Vision 1000 is another device that is mounted behind uh, the pilot seat. Uh, that captured some of those more parameters and also has a camera that you can look for. That's about medium price. And then you can go all the way up to to $30,000 with some of the other uh, devices that are in some of the bigger aircraft, um, say like the uh, the ISAT or the I, uh, IRIS at Adderlink that uh, do more than just capture some of the parameters. They'll actually look at the... Uh, the engine, and you'll be able to get flight characteristics from that. So it really depends on uh, what what the needs are, what the, the operators actually want to capture, and, and how much money want, they want to spend, of course, meeting the requirements of, uh, uh, of the uh, April 2018 deadline mandate to have FDM installed. So there, there is a, 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 a huge range depending on how much you want to spend. Uh, the good thing is... Uh, that they're actually doing it and uh, they're going to 
their, their safety program will be enhanced by the fact that they are putting these devices, or I should say can be enhanced, uh, devices in the aircraft. So it's really a matter of how much you really want to get out of the data? Uh, yes, it does. And uh, some operators not in the medical community uh, look at minimum data, seeing what the pilots would do, what altitudes, where they're flying, how close the obstacles are flying, um, how close to the weather they're flying. And other operators with some of the more sophisticated aircraft uh, want to use more data because they want to use it for maintenance purposes too. And that was the other thing I wanted to mention too, that uh, FDM not only is used for training operations, but it's uh, it's a nice device to have for maintenance personnel that can actually see what's going on as far as the aircraft and uh, see if there's any potential problems that may be coming up. Is this all something that you will discuss uh, at your session at Heli Expo? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, we have a uh, we, we've we've done a seminar down in Florida back in November. And we're planning on doing a similar seminar. We're part of the Safety Challenge. It's called Good Data Drives Good Decisions. And it's going to be on Tuesday, the second day of the LA Expo. And basically, we will uh, review what we just talked about, the, uh, the positive effects of having an FDM program, uh, give an update of the Rotocraft, the size program that we're uh, currently working on, and... Uh, basically informing the industry on um, the benefits of having uh, a, a, an FDM program. The Rotocraft, FAA Rotocraft uh, Research, FDM Research Project is basically committed to introducing the ASSIZE program into the helicopter industry, just like it's been part of the fixed-wing community uh, as part of the, uh, the CAST team, the Commercial Aviation Safety Team. And we're looking to introduce it to it so we can uh, – develop ways to look at data and analyze data to look have that information available to give the operators so they can understand how it works and uh, look at uh, incorporating those type of um, operations into your uh, into their program the it, it's a program where we're going to analyze data and then look at it for trends and uh, some issues and then publish a report when we're all finished but the other portion of it that is a benefit is the fact that we are now bringing the outreach of especially smaller operators who don't understand rotorcraft FDM so they can understand the benefits of it and kind of have their own programs or look to enhance their safety by uh, adding this type of program to their operations. Thanks for joining. As always, it helps so much if you liked this podcast to leave a review for us in iTunes or send a note. Head to rotorandwing.com slash podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and like us on Twitter. Take care.